Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. I wonder if there's a moment, a conversation, an experience, an encounter that changed the way you saw something forever. There was one like that for me about 20 years ago, and I haven't quite read the Bible in the same way since. I was sitting in the Virginia Seminary Chapel for morning prayer, and Roger Furlow, one of my professors at the time, was sitting a few rows ahead of me. Now, Roger is a towering intellect, and he's also a little bit, as my dad used to say about himself, vertically challenged. But the ends of the pews in the old VTS chapel were actually quite tall, the details important to the story eventually, because one of the readings that day was from the book of Revelation. I don't remember exactly what passage it was, only that it was wild and bloody and strange, apocalyptic stuff with sword-bearing horsemen and bloody robes and probably a lamb wandering into the scene to take charge somehow. It was this kind of passage that turns a lot of sophisticated modern people against the book of Revelation, even if they find it perfectly acceptable to read Cormac McCarthy novels or watch Quentin Tarantino movies. Anyway, the lector was reading away when I saw Roger's head kind of loll over and against the oak of one of those tall pew ends, like a mesmerized child at story time. His posture was the opposite of an uncomfortable squirm. It was as if he was relishing it all without any inhibition or embarrassment, as if such scenes were exactly what an Episcopalian might come to morning prayer in hopes of experiencing. Well, I had an appointment with Roger right after chapel, so we walked out together, and as we did, he turned to me and he said, Scott, what in the world were those people going through? meaning John of Patmos, or the community that wrote down the book of Revelation in his name, what were they going through that made it necessary to tell their story in the wild and terrifying ways that they told it? That's it. That's my moment. It's just a question that's still hanging in the air, mostly unanswered for me 20 20 years later. It's a question that's changed my posture toward Holy Scripture And also my posture towards other people when I'm at my best. It's really nothing more than a pause when we encounter something confusing or strange in the Bible or in a person. A pause that we can fill up with a little curiosity and empathy if we decide to. And so much can change in the short course of that curious pause. Well, we're not reading from Revelation today. And for some of you, it's worse than that. It's St. Paul again. As a friend of mine once put it, uh, when people were grumbling about someone I hadn't yet met, it's popular not to like him. So it is with dear old St. Paul in some circles. And not for nothing, he's been used to put wives and gay people and plenty of other folks in their places by Christian preachers like me over the years. But the first thing I love about our reading from 1 Corinthians is Chloe. It's not just that I've known some very lovely humans who happen to be named Chloe including one of the youth representatives to our vestry, although she spells her name differently, but I digress. No, I'm not digressing. Or maybe the the digression here is actually the point. Because this is the only time this Chloe is mentioned in the Bible. 
But when Paul writes that it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, it's precisely the fact that we haven't a clue who Chloe is that reminds us that we are reading a letter that wasn't written to us, right? It was written to people who did know Chloe and who knew who who her people were. So it follows that our first question of this text should probably be, what were those people going through? Well, we don't know too much about that, but we know a little bit about them. We know they were baptized, and we know they weren't getting along very well. I know, shocking, Christians who weren't getting along with each other. Probably harder for you to imagine than those white robes washed clean with the blood of the Lamb in Revelation, isn't it? But Paul was addressing divisions within the early church. Factions that had emerged as people divided themselves up into camps, it seems. So our first response to what were those people going through is probably, oh, that. They're dividing themselves up like humans always have. It's something that in our day we've raised to an art form. We've even invented whole industries and media that seem to be dedicated to deepening our divisions and intensifying our resentments, haven't we? So we may not know the particulars, but we know the tendencies to divide ourselves from one another very, very well, don't we? We know some other things about these people, too. They were baptized specifically into Christian community, which is to say that they were immersed in the death and resurrection of Jesus, something they believed was the event that somehow broke the power of sin and death that's been dividing humans from God and humans from each other and humans even from the earth itself since way back in Genesis chapter 3. These first Christians believe that something else can order our life together and our relationships. And that new order that Jesus proclaimed and established, it broke down all the age-old divisions in the world. To use Paul's own words from over in Galatians 3, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. That's not a vision of the world we desperately need today. I don't know what is. And it sounds like pure sweetness and light to us. But in practice, it's really, really hard. It's hard in real life with actual people. The the old divisions and categories the gospel does away with or what has been telling us each who we are and how we fit together, not just for our whole lives, but for generations, right? Could we really let go of identities that have been built on nationality, economic status, gender? Could we let go of my identity built on the family I was born into, the neighborhood I live in, the church we attended or didn't attend, the color of our skin? The identities we've built out of schools we attended, parties we vote for, even the restaurants that folks like us, whoever your us happens to be, frequent. What were these first Christians going through? Well, they were trying to live as a people who were no longer defined by the old categories and divisions of this world. And that, my friends, is very hard work. In fact, I'd argue that if you're really going to form a community that resists the familiar divisions and definitions of people persistently, you're probably going to need a St. Paul or two in the mix. 
Somebody to call us out when the old divisions start opening up again. Maybe even someone who gets specific, who names names, who draws boundaries and even may have to say, I'm sorry, but we can't treat people in that way and remain part of this community. This is the difficult irony, isn't it? To truly be a community that makes the redeeming love of God in Christ our organizing principle, we have to be vigilant and uncompromising about a few things. But it's also true that an essential practice to keep a community true to this way of Jesus is that curious empathy that pauses before it passes judgment and says, what were those people going through? That curious empathy that really can break us out of seeing the person across from us as a category instead of another child of God with a story all her own. When Howard Thurman described how hatred takes root and grows in our hearts, he said it often begins when people have contact with each other but no fellowship. And here's how he described what he meant by that. He writes, It is like the experience of going into a man's office and in that moment before being seated, when the full gaze of the other is focused upon you, suddenly wondering whether the top button of your vest is in place and not daring to look. It is a penetrating, incisive, cold understanding. There is no cushion to absorb limitations or to provide extenuating circumstances for protection. I think we've all been there, haven't we? We've been looked at, or we've looked at another person without curiosity, without empathy, with no interest in the circumstances, or no cushion of forgiveness to absorb any of their failures. All we are in such circumstances is that kind of person, not a particular someone with a story and a history, but a category. And Thurman said that so many hates and horrors, even the violence and injustice that racks our beloved Memphis and our world today, these are tied to this ordinary category failure of fellowship between human beings and each other. The issue at Corinth was baptism of all things. Well, yesterday, Ardell told me of an insight by Dr. Beth Sarah Wright. We promise at our baptisms to respect the dignity of every human being. Respect, Dr. Wright points out, literally means to look again. It shares the same root as spectacles or inspect. Well, Howard Thurman believed that how we look at each other can determine whether fellowship is increased or divisions are opening up or widening between us. Maybe we need to learn to look again. I think he's right. And I think in this, Paul had it right. And I think Chloe's people were right to say, it's happening again, people. We're dividing ourselves up according to all the wrong things. We have to look at each other again. Because these divisions can turn into so much more than petty resentments. The opening into what might seem like an impossible fellowship between you and someone with a wildly different story than yours really is within reach. The reconciliation between one life and another made possible by the power of the cross, as grand and noble as that sounds, I truly believe it can at least begin in your life and in mine through nothing more but nothing less than that simple, brave, curious empathy 
that withholds judgment just long enough to ask, what might that person be going through? It is so simple and it is so very difficult. But might that curious empathy to look again, to respect, to, to be, something, be something that's very much within your reach and mine today, something we could actually commit to practicing together, and something that if the way of Jesus is true, really can begin to heal what is still breaking into pieces this world that God so loves and so deeply desires to be one. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.